Halloween is still a ways away, yet over the past few months, across the globe, we have been haunted by the nightmare of inflation. Prices are increasing, and not just for raw materials, but also for consumer goods. This raising concerns for businesses and private households alike. Dr. Martin Katula joins us today to share how we can combat global inflation with technology. Dr. Martin Katula is a global VP for value content and thought leadership, as well as the head of value advisory for spend management at SAP. He helps customers drive digital transformation across source-to-pay and supply chain processes. Passionate about digitization, customer success, new innovations and technologies, Martin is a known author publishing several academic and business articles. He has significant experience overseeing cost and efficiency improvement programs, category optimization, organizational restructuring and operations management. Martin holds a doctorate from Aston University where his thesis focused on risk management in strategic sourcing and an MBA from TS Nimbus University. Before he joined SAP, he worked as a management consultant and as a category manager within strategic sourcing. As always, my name is Akshay Mola and you're listening to SAP Experts Podcast. Please be sure to like, share and subscribe. Welcome Dr. Martin Katula to the SAP Experts Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today to enlighten us on how to combat a global phenomenon that is keeping many perhaps all of us awake at night. Inflation is the rate of increase in prices over a given period, and at a normal rate, it is a symptom of a healthy economy. We all know that. However, what began with the COVID crisis to the current global inflation we are facing today that we hear about in the news, things are way beyond normal. That would not be an exaggeration. So Martin, what happened? How did things spiral so much? Well, that's a, that's a very interesting one. So I think when, when we look uh, globally, what is happening with inflation and uh, I think we see rates. When uh, uh, I was uh, born a couple of years back, uh, 79, I think we haven't seen um, that high inflation rate. So, um, and I think uh, maybe it's not only COVID as a one source. I would rather <clears throat> talk about more price shocks in um, certain categories, which we see across uh, many dimensions. So one, of course, is COVID, which led to multiple production and supply disruptions over the last uh, two years. Um, so including the latest shutdowns, uh, what we see in China, in Shanghai, for example. And uh, through all the events, the, the supply was actually decreased um, and uh, the demand was almost unchanged. So people were still trying to buy stuff, um, but the production as uh, companies went into um, the disruption mode or into the lockdown mode, they couldn't still produce. And a lot of um, um, yeah supplies are still coming from uh, uh, from, from China. And on the other one, we saw even some demand pikes. Uh, so like the classical toilet paper example, um, toilet shortage, people were s- starting to uh, even overconsume and create more demand on it. Um, so right. that was one uh, one big dimension. Nowadays, we also see as a price driver, I would say the whole discussion around green sustainability, carbon footprint. Um, this is, of course, driving across many sectors, uh, especially in Europe. This is in a driving um, uh, domain for increasing prices, especially in electricity. Um, and uh, when we talk about sustainability, 
companies also need to, in some cases, need to find different sources. Yeah, so um, that's also not easy. Another phenomenon which we saw a couple of years back was uh, the whole global trade uh, restrictions, discussions, customs. I wouldn't talk about trade wars, but it's still a big phenomenon uh, to uh, to the whole um, to the whole cost base um, of the companies. Uh, an additional one, exchange rates. Yeah, so if you see globally, um, uh, especially development of the US dollar and the interest rates of the US dollar, I think this is an, an still very important uh, topic um, for many companies uh, where they source or sell in different uh, currencies. So the foreign exchange topic is uh, also one of the key drivers for um, increasing prices. Yeah. Then we also saw the great resignation. So we had a lot of right. talents uh, changing companies, uh, of course, asking for higher salaries. There was uh, even some some uh, battling around talents, which also increases the, the mm -hmm. cost base in, in certain ways. So if we look at the, the latest uh, developments like the Ukraine war um, or the Russia uh, gas with Gazprom uh, facing Europe, this is also leading to a uh, um, yeah, high uncertainty and also a high impact to the uh, to the cost base, uh, including oil prices, which are at the, uh, at the peaks. Yeah? And uh, lately, uh, the, the heat wave or the weather changes uh, affecting wheat prices, uh, um, the whole farming uh, industry is also facing and seeing the, the kind of uh, in increasing prices uh, on, on that demand simply due to less supply in this regard. Yeah? And lastly, mm -hmm. if you look at the whole raw materials, whether this is uh, copper, aluminum, semiconductor, um, it's not only a supply uh, issue, but also a yeah, price issue from from a uh, wrong allocation of demand and production and forecasting. So uh, these are a lot of topics leading to uh, increasing prices and uh, affecting companies, um, affecting the procurement, the, the cost base of a company, which also leads as a kind of a uh, yeah, visual cycle to uh, uh, to the sales price as well. So as you explained, there are a plethora of reasons which cause this perfect storm, whether it be geopolitical reasons, whether it be climate reasons, and all of them culminating into what we're seeing as inflation right now. And Martin, you explained in a very nice detail about the various impacts that we are having globally, that we are seeing globally. But what if I asked you to explain it like I'm five years old, specifically how inflation impacts day-to-day -day running of regular business operations. Okay, that, that that's a funny question. <laughs> so I seldom have uh, <laughs> that kind of interaction. So um, actually, uh, do you love ice? Ice cream, yes, of course, of course. especially so, in the Houston heat. Okay, so imagine you are five years old and you run an ice business, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, you're going to sell a cube of ice. Uh, so to produce ice, you basically need milk. And let's say you need a basket of strawberries. Yeah. These are, uh, let's uh, exclude all, all, all the other minor details, but those are the main ingredients uh, of your business. And you want to sell the one scoop of strawberry for, let's say, $2. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, just to make an easy calculation. And you, of course, want to make a profit. So, yeah. uh, uh, and the profit may be just 50 cents per, per scoop. Yes. And uh, if you're gonna pay for your milk and strawberries that you purchase on the market or from a far, uh, from a farmer, if you pay one dollar fifty plus fifty cent of um, uh, of profit, yeah. uh, then you reach out to the two dollars. Now imagine that the price of the milk and the price of the strawberries tomorrow will become more expensive. And yeah. instead of paying one fifty, you pay one eighty, mm -hmm. which is an increase of uh, thirty cent. But yeah. now the main question is. 
if you're gonna still sell it for two bucks, your profit goes down to only 20 cents. Yep. So you need to make a choice whether you're gonna increase the price or if you stay with uh, um, with your price and uh, if you accept to uh, reduce your basically income. And uh, with inflation, we see those prices coming from uh, multiple sources like uh, discussed before, but um, this really leads to uh, a lot of changes. And the many companies are really struggling in this regard is um, prices are increasing on the buy side. And can you really adjust the sales price because that's in the equation that's the that's a magic one so imagine you sell 100 uh, ice cubes right at the old price can you still sell the 100 tomorrow for mm. 220 or 230 because if the demand goes down it has also an implication to uh, to income and this is the well the tricky situation uh, in a very simplified uh, example but this is where many companies really struggle do we adjust sales prices are prices going up can we still cope with the raw materials um can the farmers still work on it uh, if we talk right. about um, the, the supply side in and how example. the consumer might react to it in exactly. all of this mix absolutely so Martin, uh, this perhaps uh, would be me oversimplifying a little bit, but I feel like the way uh, companies are able to respond to things like inflation crisis, it's all about uh, the proof being in the pudding. So what I mean by that is companies responding to things like inflation, the COVID crisis, and now we're hearing about recession can be predicted pretty much in their day-to-day, -day, how efficiently and how effectively they're running their operation during the good times, during the normal times. What is your take on this? Well, that's a that's a very tricky, <laughs> tricky and difficult uh, question, I would say. Uh, but uh, in my view, I think uh, COVID nowadays is a, is good control. And uh, um, over the last two years, we saw with the pandemic that we are now going back to normal. And this is what uh, with um, with a lot of developments around the globe, maybe with one exception, which is uh, uh, China and, and the lockdowns, um, we see a high dependency of low cost country sourcing. So this already led to uh, uh, yeah a lot of brainstorming and uh, changing different directions at the company side. Um, the question is still now, if you have a high dependency on China and China is in lockdown and you get, I don't know, your Christmas gifts there, um, can you make a very good prediction um, to get your Christmas uh, to Christmas gift um, uh, with delivery times right. and uh, shortages? So I think companies are still running um, effectively and efficiently uh, in certain ways. Um, but when it comes to manage the exceptions or the let's say the unnormal that right. becomes uh, the the real big topic and if you look at the inflation um, and the rising costs i think then companies are really going back to i would say this kind of an firefighting mode or attack ad hoc mode for um, really running and adjusting also towards a potential recession so um, if you for example look at amazon Amazon mm. announced in Q2 in the earnings call that uh, in the first quarter of this year, they were affected by 6 billion US dollar uh, just for inflation, fulfillment issue and fixed cost wow. impact. So 6 million is uh, is a big number. So I wouldn't say, right. well, that's not maybe not normal and maybe not effective and not efficient at all. <laughs> but um, this is where companies are. And uh, even Amazon in this case announced for Q2 um, that uh, they are affected by fuel um, uh, for trucking and air and ocean shipping rates, uh, which is uh, the largest retailer. And um, when you look, for example, on, on Volkswagen, which is an, an automotive uh, company, but uh, when they are catching up with uh, prices, and if you look 
compared in the COVID, uh, COVID environment, uh, they were produced at its peak around April time uh, 2021, uh, 850,000 units of cars, the whole group. Right. Um, and if you look back on, on the COVID time, it was just 500,000. So um, almost 40, 40% less. And this is, I think, where companies uh, need to be more agile um, going forward. Yeah. Um, if you look at, uh, uh, yeah, at uh, studies from McKinsey, for example, everybody is saying that you need, you need to get a kind of an, um, yeah, kind of managing your cost base. You need to be flexible. You need to right. uh, look and simulate for some of the um, um, yeah upcoming events, um, and it could also be a black swan, which we uh, don't know uh, as of now. Yeah, some of the latest events were kind of a black swan, which I personally would never expect uh, going back into this kind of a crisis mode which we see um, in Europe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, I think companies did a lot uh, in regard to IT and uh, digitalization, uh, but I think the, the biggest challenge maybe for many is uh, on one hand side, the employee adoption in regard to change management. Um, mm -hmm. And on the other one, it's really that many have uh, heterogeneous landscapes, um, which they didn't manage um, or, or I would say, which may be naturally grown because there have been different tendencies and different trends over the last uh, 20, 30 years in, in the IT uh, development. Yeah. But maybe this is one of the biggest challenges where companies really need to uh, uh, need to look at. And uh, when I compare this, uh, for example, from, from a risk management standpoint, um, I did my research um, on the semiconductor crisis uh, right. with Fukushima going back. And even that point in time, we discovered that a lot of uh, those challenges were resonating to, uh, um, yeah, to strategies the company set up. So there was a very high price focus. Uh, there was mm -hmm. a high focus on, on single sourcing. There was a high focus on, well, we do not want to manage uh, all the different supply base. We need to cut the, the long tail, et cetera. And that also led to, uh, uh, to the relationships. Yeah, if you squeeze your suppliers and if you then going, going down to, to a crisis mode, the supplier on the other hand will basically say, okay, then I will look for those companies where I make the biggest margin in. and if you don't have that margin then you may be uh, the loser in, in in this regard so I think this is now a very uh, yeah very difficult environment including um, the the Ukraine war where in, in certain areas or in certain industries you had a high dependency even mm. on a country right. so a lot of companies for example in the in the car um, wiring environment they were simply based on the Ukraine now if you have that kind of a war which you I think no one could really forecast it and right. foresee it. So that is really affecting the company. So um, I think some companies have real challenges, um, but some are really um, also preparing for the recession, yeah? like uh, layoffs. Yeah? I think uh, Amazon announced uh, uh, to reduce 100,000 of uh, employees. Uh, Microsoft made a similar announcement, Google, Metaverse. So all the large companies are really looking into and um, uh, trying to prepare for an upcoming recession, um, including yeah, spend control towers and uh, reducing uh, non-related uh, spend, hiring freezes, uh, bringing down advertisements and campaigns. Um, so um, I think companies are in in the core business, I think quite uh, effective and efficient. But when it comes to um, this kind of firefighting or crisis mode, which I would uh, call, I think then it's still very manual based. Absolutely. And, you know, you hit on so many different uh, topics and I would love to pinpoint and pick apart each and every one of them. You spoke about the importance of predictions and how much can we rely on them in these kind of times. Uh, you spoke on supplier relations and how things can be impacted. And one of the things that really, really stood out to me, which I want to get into immediately, you said 
you know, certain companies have heterogeneous landscapes. That really, uh, you know, made my ears perk up because in your inflation paper, and I will be for all our listeners, I will be linking that in the show notes below. It also mentions, and I quote, uh, the technology you need to operate successfully in this volatile economic environment is there. So the technology is there. However, you just need to implement it fully. That implies the solution is right here. It is available. It is attainable. But like you said, some companies don't have it implemented fully. They have a heterogeneous landscape. So could you please elaborate on this need for complete implementation of perhaps what we call an intelligent enterprise? Yeah, so um, from a technology standpoint, I think the technology the technology is uh, definitely there, and not only from SAP, but also from our uh, huge and well-respected competitors. I think uh, there are many ingredients you can buy, and I think every company needs to make a decision whether um, they're going to decide for, let's say, sweet approach or best of breed. Or, uh, I mean, th there are so many different um, approaches and also niche providers and startups that um, the company needs to find the right fit. I would always argue from an end-to-end -end process. So you need to um, really look at, um, do we have uh, the right data? Yeah. So in a classical ERP sense, starting and talking about end-to-end -end process from sales to uh, yeah, production to uh, purchasing to um, um, employee um, management, uh, finance, etc. So right. do we have everything in one place? And I think the world is not simple and easy, uh, although we used to claim it in, in many cases. But if you have a company who operates in 100 countries around the globe, and uh, do they have one central system? Do they have multiple? Um, and how do you manage with uh, data governance and data Data structures and do you have uh, a clear a clean core hmm. when I was in in my procurement uh, life uh, a category manager one of our uh, biggest categories was also others yeah which was yes. the, the free text kind of a category which we try to squeeze in everything which was possible was it the right way at that point in time maybe it just solved the pain to uh, uh, pull out and push out the purchase order but on the other one, uh, if you really want to manage the business and analytics, it was uh, a bit uh, more difficult. So I think from a multiple system and large enterprise perspective, um, it's really how do you integrate all the data? Um, and now there are also multiple providers for analytics, cloud and warehouses and BI uh, information. Um, but I always say, well, can you analyze if you run, mm -hmm. for example, in pharmaceutical business, can you analyze the blister packaging which you are purchasing, do you have the same article number in all your 50 production sites uh, which you may run globally and how do you analyze this and how long does it take you to analyze it? Are we talking about minutes? Are we talking about hours, days, weeks or even months? That becomes the, the main critical question for a really well integrated end-to-end uh, -end right. process because if you have it, um, then you can definitely uh, make real-time decisions. Um, and uh, if you add uh, technologies like a AI, ML, blockchain on top of uh, of the of the core application, or even enhance it with uh, industry-specific application to uh, um, even go one or two steps um, uh, further to solve a particular problem in a particular industry uh, to enhance your core capabilities in the IP, then I think uh, you are yeah, able to uh, manage the complexity and the agility uh, which we face uh, nowadays. So um, it's beyond the 
yeah, how do you manage and forecast sales? Do you have a supply, uh, sales uh, experience? Are customers happy? What is the price sensitivity of customers? Yeah, is the customer really willing to pay uh, $2.50 for your ice cube or only 22 right. bucks? Yeah. And how does it uh, uh, relate to, uh, to your production and demand and supply planning? Um, so I think all of the ingredients are there technically. Um, the company just needs to find an integration. And I think this is maybe one of the biggest challenges what we see on the IT side. Right. When you, we look from an LOB perspective, so um, if you are the head of finance or the head of procurement or head of sales, I think you always want to have the nice, uh, glossy and uh, greatest functions and features uh, which are available in the market, for sure. But uh, if you have then a whole enterprise and you have different size and you have for each of the different LOBs um, an, an application and you have innovation cycles and updates and how you manage all the complexity, including the integration. So I think uh, APIs made uh, lives easier nowadays compared to, uh, let's say, the uh, early uh, 2000 when uh, I was running my first projects. Um, it's definitely easier, but the complexity on managing the change and the adoption on, on the people side, I think that's maybe one of the biggest uh, issues or challenges we see. Absolutely. I'm still stuck on the example that you gave because it was so, so, so relatable, uh, having been in procurement myself, to have the big category of others. And it would simultaneously have your stationery in there. It will simultaneously have your IT spend in there. It will simultaneously have all uh, kinds of spend in there. How am I supposed to draw any conclusions of our supplier base when we have that? And that really tells us the importance of uh, having that level of implementation, that seamless integration, if we're going to have more efficiency within uh, an organization. So with that said, I'm also curious about the role of analytics and insights in enabling companies as they seek to protect their margins while simultaneously providing the value to customers. So what do you think about uh, the role of, because you did mention predictions, so the roles of analytics and insights. Yeah, this is this is a good co uh, connection because um, if you uh, if you really want to use the example of the blister packaging and you have multiple sites and you have a sim uh, uh, supply and demand, I think you can take every example, which could also be the semiconductor, yeah, um, to to see what is now the real demand. How can you collect the whole demand for maybe one specification, one article uh, across the globe? <clears throat> I think. Um, Nowadays, everybody expects the kind of real-time decision-making. Yeah, so you right. open one dashboard and and you, and, you, and you see what's going on and how many, yeah, how many tickets, how many cars are in produced a in, in a one-stop shop exactly. Um, but if you now compare this, uh, um, yeah, with the reality, I would always ask, okay, now we see that a lot of uh, container ships are somewhere stuck uh, in front of the harbor, so uh, North Sea and um, Shanghai and um, so, so I think Los Angeles as well. So. Um, do companies know which of their purchase orders and products are really locked in into a particular ship or a particular container? And I think we talk all about uh, the, the real-time insights and we have alerts and of course it uh, it provides a very high satisfaction. So if I personally purchase an item and I'm getting this kind of an order confirmation from Amazon or from any other, uh, and then you get the heads up information, well, we are just uh, collecting the shipping, then you click a uh, button and then you uh, can, can get the confirmation with your DHL or UPS provider and you can pick the date uh, of, of delivery. I mean, that's all fantastic. That is, really increases the, um, uh, the satisfaction. And uh, we are also, yeah, um, yeah the expectation raised as well that uh, it's the next time delivery. Um, so that is really leading to a topic where um, 
are companies really looking at the data or do they only have high level information and the high level information what we typically consolidate in a, in a balance sheet uh, or uh, in, in, in the cash flow um, statement. Um, I think in many cases, this is not enough, um, especially when we talk about a crisis. So in the crisis mode, um, if you have a, uh, let's use Ukraine as example. I think the first question would be, if we are back in the office is, uh, which of my suppliers are affected uh, with Ukraine? So now this is a topic which we can easily identify. Yeah? So assuming everything runs correctly and everything is uh, captured accordingly in the ERP system, the next question would be, okay, now, um, now I captured my first tier suppliers, but what is happening with the second tier suppliers? And do I have the information of the second tier suppliers? And how do we then capture the information? And now this is a good example because in that particular scenario, many really pick up the phone, start panicking and uh, trying to reach out to the key account manager on the supplier side to really evaluate the impact of the top A suppliers and B suppliers, etc. Or even they start mass mailing uh, with a series of emails and then somebody still needs to crunch the data uh, manually. And um, I have seen so far only very few companies who are using digital tools for capturing that kind of an, let's say, ad hoc survey or uh, use machine learning technologies to, to capture the insights um, and the direct feedback um, of the uh, of the supplier, so um, data and real time decision making is really one of the one of the most uh, the most challenging ones. And if we compare this really end to end, so what is happening now if you can't uh, supply an item the end consumer wants to purchase, and you have to adjust your delivery time from five days to ten days, but your competitor is cheaper and he can still provide it in five days. So how will that change? And um, I mean this example is. I would still try to differentiate between the internal perspective. I think we can do a lot with Excels and other tools from an internal perspective, right. but uh, are we capturing external data as well? So is somebody looking or are engines looking at uh, external insights and what is changing in, in the market? I mean, in certain areas, there are tools and bots who can capture that kind of information, but um, to have one data lake, one business warehouse, um, to have one maybe digital boardroom uh, where the CFO, CPO can basically drill down to the line item level, I think in many cases we are really miles away. Um, and I think what is furthermore and very dominating trend is to enhance those data which you own with external insights. So um, there are still companies providing uh, maybe the latest uh, real-time information on uh, uh, raw materials pricing or on ESG information or on supply chain information. So you get an alert saying, okay, now there is a lockdown in Shanghai. And now if you imagine what, what do I do with that trigger? Can I automatically use the trigger? Then I simply open up a dashboard with the dashboard tells me, oh, now I see that event is happening in Shanghai. So these are all my containers, which are affected or all my suppliers, which most likely go through Shanghai. And what can I do about it? Yeah, can I find different, different alternatives like a, a air freight express or something like this? Um, I mean, that's the, in my view, this is the next uh, um, challenge and the next evolution of the insights. It's not only a reporting and we know what the spend is uh, and we know what maverick buying spend is, which is right. in some organizations still a very difficult one. Um, I think the future is much more going into that kind of information, that kind of scenarios. So speaking of uh, the future, uh, what are some specific metrics? If you're talking specifically about improving a company's readiness to respond to a crisis like inflation, are there any specific metrics that companies should be perhaps more mindful of? 
Well, I mean, uh, the classical world is where everybody is talking about, I don't know, DSO, DIO, DPO. Um, so um, if we use the DIO example, there's inventory outstanding, a very classical yes. one. Everybody was looking at it. Inventories should be uh, efficient, streamlined, uh, um, not really intense. Every, every investor and shareholder was looking at it. Uh, but now if you don't have uh, enough supply, uh, people don't care. So uh, um, there are high inventories again. So the whole motion about certain KPIs and even from benchmarking perspective, I think we need to uh, make everything in a relation and to really look at what is important at a given point in time. Um, I would look in a, in a crisis mode for maybe different uh, metrics. Yeah. So some, something like uh, what are what are raw materials prices and how do they evolve, uh, evolve compared to um, yeah to the market or to the to the price index? Are we better off than the index or uh, are we worse off? Uh, do we have any any other chances uh, to to work on it? I would also look at cost avoidance uh, maybe. So how as a CPO how do you combat against the, the different uh, price changes? So if the suppliers are really asking for more money. Can you make some cost avoidance? Um, of course, everybody would say, well, Martin, that, that's paper saving, you know, but uh, it's still something which uh, in the bad times, that's all about cost avoidance. Right. In the good times, when you have the buying power, I mean, it's easy to talk about, well, we reduce 3% of uh, of purchasing prices, but now how do you combat in a, in a crazy market? And I think uh, um, that cost avoidance piece or um, in, in that particular environment, what we see is now procurement has a, half, uh, has a tough time. So uh, um, as some buyers are still uh, tied in uh, with their MBO uh, on, on cost savings yeah, uh, or price savings, what is now the issue? So do right. I still achieve my MBOs by uh, combating uh, with, with the with the crisis, so I think cost avoidance, raw materials uh, management. I think this is still one. I would personally still look at the at the metric uh, about what is my risk exposure with single sources. Um, so what is my spend with single sources compared to, I don't know, multiple and alternatives? Um, um, because that is also a trigger to, uh, to the risk exposure in, in, in my perspective. And then we, of course, have the classical one, yeah, um, sales uh, and, uh, um, yeah, su supplier um, experience, I would say. Yeah? If you have uh, a lucky su supplier base um, and uh, if they still uh, can manage and get according information, I think that I would look at, at this one. Um, uh, the old one or classical one, NPS, although it may be a bit biased, but uh, I think we can we can still use it. And of course, efficiency and liquidity uh, metrics. Um, but um, I personally would take a more portfolio perspective. So uh, right. maybe we need to apply more portfolio techniques um, to look at contribution margins of a different product, mm -hmm. which is all KPIs across a particular silo because the portfolio metrics is not only for the CPO or procurement functions, but also for others, yeah, like uh, like finance or like the um, uh, production uh, team, operations team. Um, so um, I think companies need to be more um, and willing to explore new KPIs and new metrics. Uh, of course, the standard uh, uh, standard KPIs, like mentioned, everybody will look at it. I think we will not move away from it uh, because shareholders and many analysts are still looking at it. Right. Um, but I think in many cases, we still need to bring this uh, relative uh, perspective uh, in, into the equation. But right now, it's uh, all about cost base. And uh, I have to say, uh, cash will be king again. Indeed, cash will be king again. However, Martin, I'm also hearing that with both of us, perhaps it's our bias speaking as procurement nerds, but when it comes to inflation, it's my personal opinion, perhaps it's yours as well, that procurement is the most obvious business area where the wrath of increasing prices is felt. 
So much so that even intelligent technologies such as machine learning, they're not going to be one size fits all and they're going to just solve all our problems like a magic wand. Things are that volatile. So in such a scenario, Martin, firstly, how are procurement organizations impacted, number one? And number two, what must be their course of action to just keep swimming? Well, that's a that's a very interesting one. So I still remember my times when uh, I started my career in procurement. Um, so I was a uh, um, yeah, category manager and operational buyer. I created purchase orders and also had to deal with some, with not that kind of crisis, but uh, other different challenges. So I really uh, have a lot of sympathies and I can really imagine uh, and also feel the pain um, of uh, yeah colleagues colleagues in overall procurement, whether this is in Germany, Europe or, or around the globe. I think right now it's a very uh, difficult environment and I think it's uh, unbelievably difficult uh, to yet yeah, to manage all the procurement uh, and, and uh, supplier base. Yeah, So we see different demands ch uh, coming from end consumers, but also the uh, the recent supply shocks uh, are really leading to uh, um, a lot of uh, um, yeah concerns. So if you imagine um, if you're producing uh, glass bottles, for example, yeah, it's a very high energy consumption base. So um, what is your job? Yeah, Can you really negotiate uh, prices with uh, that electricity company? Most likely not. So there are no neg negotiation tactics. You can do some bit of commercials like um, hedging you can uh, talk to your production people if you can avoid some uh, some spikes um, but that's it more or less so it's really to uh, um, take and live with the uh, with the uncertainty or with the with the given circumstance um, in the um, semiconductors business I think that's also um, I consulted uh, a customer where we had a single specification with one supplier you have almost no chance. And if your production uh, uh, lane uh, where, with your yeah, biggest product uh, who's contributing um, the most to your income is at risk because you don't have that much uh, semiconductors, I mean, that's really causing a lot of uh, issues and really concerns. Yeah, So uh, um, that was a really um, uh, high impact for also the, the owners and, and the whole families. So um, I think right now, many people are really in a panic mode, um, Yeah, trying to uh, um, search new, new sources, trying to look at uh, uh, forecasting demand adjustments, trying to find alternative routes, whether this is air freight or um, yeah, uh, road transportation or partially even helicopter transportation in, in certain areas. Um, so I think that's definitely a an, an different, um, different challenge for procurement. And uh, what, what we see that on the other side is that it's still kind of a very manual-based process. So um, you send out a purchase order that can be a PDF in many cases. Then you have the supplier capturing the information. Then you have the uh, order confirmation in certain ways. But then you try to, uh, to adjust to uh, the new production planning and revised production planning. Um, so everything is a kind of an um, ad hoc mode. And I think many companies are not really prepared for kind of like risk management culture or fire drills culture right. where they can prepare for certain environments. I think we can't see all the black swans which may come up and which are uh, which are there um, today. Um, but companies still crunch data and there is too much manual work right now. And I think it's still maybe time like we had with COVID. So COVID led to a very strong pull in digitization. It was right. not a push from the IT companies. So if you just look at Zoom, how Zoom uh, or Microsoft Teams went through the roof right. and how short the change in adoption was on the employee side, mm. we see, or I can say, well, digitization is yeah. worth, it can work, you can implement it, not in the three years project, it can also work in the time. I think people need to understand what is what is the biggest, uh, the biggest impact there. So um, I think I'm 
For procurement right now, it's a very hard time. I do, I do not want to be a buyer for electricity <laughs> right now in Europe. I think that that's maybe one of the worst jobs uh, you, you can have, in, including the the gas, the potential gas shortage. So that's not easy. Um, but it's really time for companies to find out alternatives, to think about mitigation, right. um, to uh, find new sources, new ways of interacting, and uh, yeah, to look at the portfolio to see at the impact, and really to start more time on scenario planning. Um, so also trying to capture kind of an, uh, a black swan because the research shows that if you are trying to prepare for that kind of a crisis, in many cases, you are you are better off. You identify um, the, the weaknesses and leakages which you may have in, in data and consumption. Mm -hmm. So um, in my view, when I look at uh, from a positive way, I think that's a great opportunity also to revisit how are we purchasing, yeah. which sources are we purchasing, how are we doing our business and uh, especially how companies uh, uh, really want to, uh, um, how companies uh, in the B2B segment and how consumers in the in the B2C environment are really willing to pay which price for a certain environment and uh, what is the implication to, uh, yeah, to supply and demand in my view. You know, I really love the fact that you said a scenario planning and catching the black swan in advance because times like these, they may really make us realize that it's not just good enough to keep a business as usual when things are going good but it's also important to really leapfrog to see what the next big thing could be uh for example you know you brought up a zoom and microsoft teams and at least i would say definitely for sap's uh solution advisory organization which i was a part of i was from the very beginning already since my intern days trained on zoom and teams so my job never really changed covid or no covid i was ready we were already trained up to give our presentations through the system uh so for us it was just business as usual so speaking of uh business as usual versus the readiness that prices like these these demand and how they can cause a paradigm shift within the industry our super intern, Sogu Rahimi, had a question just for you. So he asks, the just-in-time manufacturing model has been tremendously challenged. Inventory across the board serves as one of the biggest inflationary pushes. So Sogu would like to hear your insights considering the lessons from the last couple of years. Where do you see uh, the just-in-time model staying? Is it here to stay or uh, is it not going to be here to stay in the long run? Well, that's a very established uh, yeah, concept, um, mainly in manufacturing, but um, I would say it's um, also a good time to really reth rethink and reassess and evaluate um, whether the model remains or how companies can really adjust to it. I think uh, being a consultant before, I think we also evangelized, you know, keeping costs down, focusing on modularization, outsourcing, um, keep the cost down, don't stock it, uh, responsibility to the supplier wherever wherever possible. Um, but nowadays we also see that from the end consumer perspective, there is a high demand for transparency. So everything what has to do with uh, labor rights, sustainability, people really want to want to know where products are produced and uh, where beef is coming from, etc. Um, so. Um, just in time, I think in, in certain ways, when we really look at, uh, um, at the classical automotive uh, company, I think in, in the old days, I had to wait for a new car. The, the lead time was something like three months. Uh, nowadays, we are about nine months. So now, am I happy as the customer? Of course not. So because right. I'm, I'm trained from a retail perspective to get stuff next day or let's say... Right. 
or let's say maybe in, in two days, uh, but even if something um, is going to be delivered in six weeks, I, I have a kind of like um, strange gut feel. Uh, right. Will it will it be delivered? It's, Should I pay it? What will happen with my uh, right. with my credit card uh, payment? So um, I think it's a lot about expectations from a business perspective. Um, I think um, the just-in-time model maybe evolved into kind of like 2.0 or 3.0, something like this. Um, I think it will not go away uh, in, in its uh, entire motion. Um, but uh, where we see the different uh, prices and different changes, um, in my view, there is another trend really affecting um, the whole motion, which is the... Um, uh, the mass customization. So even with mass customization, well, whether this is colors uh, or or different uh, equipment for, I mean, you can configure your running shoes. Um, so uh, if I configure my running shoes, I most likely need to, because they are produced in China. Um, I will wait four to six weeks and it uh, right. comes uh, with um, with an air freight uh, delivery, which is okay, but I, I can also get that stuff um, next day. Um, right. with uh, a retail store or even with a shipment. So um, from an end consumer perspective, there are different perspectives. And uh, maybe in a couple of years, we also will get the carbon footprint of it. So company, uh, so some of the consumers are still really evaluating. So does it really um, make sense to produce this tailor-made shoe in, in China and, and, and ship it? Um, so that will have an implication um, on it. Um, and I think uh, when you look at um, the different dependencies, what we have globally, so with modules, mm. uh, so modular production and uh, the different sources around the globe, um, I think we also have some really craziness uh, in, in the market. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you uh, fish in one country, then you have uh, an entire um, air freight uh, express to China for, I don't know, packaging, and then you bring the stuff back. I think there are crazy supply chains in the world. And I think that craziness in certain ways really need to stop. Um, so um, it's not the, the just in time or next day. I think it will be more focused also on having higher inventories, um, having a different uh, perspective on the carbon footprint. There is a high demand of localization. Um, there is a uh, McKinsey study, um, I think from uh, 2020, um, really talking about that uh, in 23 industries uh, over the next five years, 25% uh, of the of the companies will uh, be um, uh, brought back to uh, um, yeah to the local countries. Yeah, so mm. it will be uh, local sourcing more or less. But local sourcing comes not for free, so there right. is an automatic price uh, price premium uh, on top of it. Right. Uh, but I think that's a big um, yeah big development uh, in in the just in time. So I would say just in time will remain, but it will be um, remarkably changed when it comes to the different ingredients and the different uh, evaluations. Absolutely, absolutely. And Martin, you know, this podcast would be incomplete if we did not discuss the role of SAP solutions. Now, I know we have sprinkled uh, the role of SAP solutions, intelligent technologies like machine learning, and we have sprinkled it throughout this podcast. But if you were to perhaps summarize uh, how we help our customers uh, develop operational efficiency with our solutions, what would you summarize it as? Well, I mean, we we are maybe one of the very few companies uh, in the world who has uh, the broadest uh, application and solution portfolio to address all of the different challenges what we what we faced. Maybe some of the visionary uh, aspects with uh, real time insights and right. uh, outside perspectives and the benchmarking thing. Maybe that's a, a bit in the future. But I would uh, basically summarize this in into different um, into different ways. 
One is we, of course, have the intelligent sustainable enterprise, uh, the next evolution of an uh, ERP um, system, really addressing the whole uh, operational uh, motion. And uh, with our program, Arise with SAP, we really help companies with the transformation um, moving from an on-premise world to the cloud and also reassessing some of the complex uh, um, landscapes uh, customers may have, uh, including some of modifications and customizations. I think that's also a big uh, journey in, in this regard. Um, I would add um, the largest business network in the world. Um, so really helping and addressing um, the topic um, about um, transportation, um, about uh, suppliers, about collaboration, not in a paper world, but also in a digital and more importantly, integrated world. So really to connect companies where an ERP on the buyer side can talk to an ERP on the sales side from a customer to really talk about this one. And if we imagine to bring companies together with uh, the business network functionality, uh, including new technology like, like blockchain, I think this will bring a big push forward when it comes to uh, ESG uh, information, carbon footprint information, um, and also when it uh, uh, comes to, to drive the efficiency on planning and forecasting and really help organizations to, uh, to manage the peak, yeah? to avoid that there are, um, let's say, uh, fake purchase order or yes. uh, indicative purchase order in the system, which you don't necessarily need and really ask for the demand and, and manage for the demand. And lastly, um, maybe the most important area um, in my view is really to, um, from a company standpoint or a customer standpoint, to look at particular gaps in a certain uh, line of business or in a certain process area, really to focus on applications or um, LOB um, um, solutions, um, like we have, for example, with Ariba Procurement or we have with Fieldglass or with Conquer or with uh, success factors. Um, I think there are many ways where an application can be uh, implemented very fast to solve a particular problem, uh, to really enhance the capabilities, um, and uh, also more importantly, to look at uh, the industry cloud uh, offering, um, which is uh, also closing a particular process need and process gap um, by, yeah, in a similar motion, like, uh, yeah, you buy and process or an enhanced application which is solving the particular uh, business plan. So I would say overall, um, including the, the platform play from SAP, I think we have a very solid uh, portfolio really to address all of the issues and uh, yeah, to really make companies um, yeah, being adopted to real-time decision-making, real-time insights um, yeah, and hope uh, yeah, to increase their operational resilience. Absolutely. It is a one-stop shop for companies to develop operational resiliency. And you mentioned the world's largest business network, the SAP Business Network. So if our audience wants to know more about that, I have also linked in the show notes below a dedicated podcast episode on SAP Business Network with Tony Harris. And what I've also linked, as you've already heard, is Dr. Martin Catula's paper on inflation. So with that said, as we're coming to a close, uh, Martin, if our audience wants to follow you, learn about all the wonderful white papers that you have been writing, where can they follow you? Well, the best would be where I may be most mature is uh, on uh, LinkedIn uh, and also on the um, SAP Blogs community. Um, and yeah, happy to chat. Please reach out. Uh, please connect. Uh, um, and um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. With that, thank you so much. 
Dr. Martin Katula for joining us today. I know I said in the beginning that inflation is definitely giving many of us sleepless nights, but after learning how companies can develop more resilience in these times, I think some of us are going to sleep a little better. Thank you so much. Thank you.